Good morning. Welcome to Bethel. I am glad that you are here with us this morning. How many of you got wet on the way in? It's a little soggy, although I heard uh, our speaker this morning said they're a little envious because out west, they need this kind of rain. And if you've been following the news, especially in California and up into Oregon, and in Oregon, we have some sister churches up there that could really use this kind of weather. And so I think we should be thankful for it, even though it feels a little soggy here. Uh, we should be glad that at least we're not facing uh, what they're facing there. Well, welcome to this weekend. This is our missions weekend. And so once a year, we try to bring in a guest speaker uh, to get us to think uh, outside of maybe the ways that we normally think or, or work through um, issues and questions. And so this weekend is our mission speaker, Tim and his wife, Julie uh, Brown, are here with us. And so I want to read for us uh, one of my favorite passages when I think about um, reaching the lost uh, for Christ and all of the things that people chase uh, when they should be chasing the living God. And here is what Paul wrote uh, in Acts chapter 17. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Arabagus, says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all of the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Tim's going to be talking uh, at least this uh, in part this weekend about where they minister and folks that they minister to. But I want us to be thinking about those that we interact with. Everybody worships something. Everybody worships someone or something. And most of the time it's unknown in, in one sense. And we want to point them to the living God who one day will judge uh, them. And we want to point them to the one who he appointed to be the judge, the one who raised on their behalf, uh, none other than Jesus Christ. So let's pray together this morning. God, I pray that this morning, uh, tonight, and again tomorrow night, you would encourage our hearts as we think about those who need to know the truth about Jesus Christ. I pray that uh, you would um, 
Equip our hearts in a new way uh, to love you, uh, to enjoy you so much that our hearts are just compelled to tell others about you. That we who have experienced your grace and mercy and kindness would be quick to offer that and to tell that truth to others and help others to walk in that. So that when we say, follow us as we follow Jesus, uh, we mean that and, and, and we can show how that looks. So I pray that you would help us this weekend to do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One quick announcement before we sing together this morning. Um, each year at the beginning of the school year, we like to take all of our school-age children and assign them to a prayer partner. And so if you would be willing to be a prayer partner for one of our uh, students this year, uh, back in the foyer, you can sign up, uh, pick a name and sign up. You can pray for that student. You can interact with that student as you uh, as is appropriate. Um, but we want each of our kids to know that they're being prayed for uh, this academic year. Uh, so take advantage of that, we ask you uh, this morning. Now, if you will stand with us, uh, we're going to sing together uh, to our Lord and our Savior this morning. moving on the water who's holding up the who's peeling back the darkness with the burning light of who's standing on the mountain who's on the earth Holy and eternal 
to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to Him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, and not I, but through Christ in me. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, and not I, but through Christ. Not I, but through Christ in me. Take not thy holy 
You may be seated. Again, I want to say welcome. I'm glad you are here. Uh, this is Tim Brown. Uh, his wife, Julie, is, is down here uh, with him this morning. Uh, I got to have lunch with Tim earlier this week, and it was such a joy just to get to know him and uh, walked away from that lunch very much feeling a camaraderie and a, a, a spirit of brotherhood with him. And it, it was a wonderful uh, time together. Uh, Tim works with an organization called Pioneers. Um, Pioneers has about 3,000 missionaries in over 100 countries around our world, uh, which is pretty remarkable, a sizable organization. Uh, Tim and his wife serve in an administrative capacity out in Tucson, Arizona, and they oversee missionaries that are coming into the western uh, part of the United States and help uh, orient them and get them acclimated into uh, their ministry capacity. And a lot of the ministry that they do are with Native Americans uh, in the West. And I don't know if you've kept up with uh, Supreme Court rulings over the last sessions, but uh, there was a very significant one that ruled on land ownership uh, by Native American Indian tribes and uh, has an effect uh, on what uh, Tim and his uh, missionaries do uh, in those different areas around uh, the country. They have uh, four children, three grandchildren. I got to hear a little bit about them uh, the other day when we were together, um, but he was so gracious. He wanted to know about my family and all of that, and so I trust that you will enjoy him as he speaks this morning. Uh, he's going to close us out at the end with prayer, and so I won't be back up here, but I do want to invite you back tonight. He'll be here again at 6 o'clock this evening, and then tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, and he'll be back here to finish up uh, this series and this weekend. So, Tim, why don't you come over here? Let me pray for you, and then, uh, and then you can go. God, again, I just thank you for Tim. I thank you for his wife, Julie, and for all of the workers and pioneers and what they're doing uh, to facilitate your gospel spread throughout not just the United States but around the world. And I pray that this morning you would help him to encourage our hearts to continue on with the Great Commission and what it means to know you and to make you known to the nations. And so uh, embolden him, speak through him to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we've got, oh, thank you. All right. Here I thought I was going to have to figure out, now which button do I push again? It's all good. It's all good. What a joy to be here in Sarasota. Um, I was telling, um, actually Scott and Jeannie, who we've, I've known ever since high school, Jeannie, and then when she got married to Scott and we all had little kids, um, we were here uh, to visit again, but I was telling them that actually my first time in Sarasota was uh, my junior year at Eastern Mennonite High School where Jeannie and uh, Daryl and Lynette Yoder, who also attend here in the wintertime, uh, they were, um, we would come down on spring break and uh, loved it just so much, uh, especially Siesta Beach. That was kind of my favorite with the sand and stuff, but uh, then in college, as it turned out, I didn't go to a Mennonite college, went to Asbury, which is more Methodist and so on in Kentucky. And one of my classmates was also from Sarasota. And there were a bunch of us missionary kids that played soccer 
for the soccer team. And uh, so we were invited down. And so for four spring breaks in college, Sarasota kind of became my my fun go-to place to just get out of the cold north and come to the warm south. So, um, so when we had kids, Julie and I, with our oldest two in particular, uh, we came and visited Scott and Jeannie, and, uh, and so they got a chance to, um, to get acquainted. And so our youngest son, Laramie, his request of us was, be sure you bring me a bottle of the sand. You know, go figure. Why sand? I don't know. But, you know, you guys are famous for this, that you're Sandy Beach. So, um, but one of the things that we're enjoying during these, uh, we're here actually for a couple of weeks. We're getting some rest. It's been, uh, we were supposed to have a sabbatical this year. Uh, we've, our last furlough or our time away from the field was in 1993. And um, we, we've been in, in mission administration for long enough that it's kind of hard to find a time to get away. So we planned for about a year and a half to have sabbatical in 2020. And, you know, our lives like yours were just totally disrupted. Uh, so we spent two weeks on sabbatical and then we got back to work because it, we just needed to. And um, so being here at this time has really been a joy uh, for us. Um, as you see on the, on the slide, you'll see a little bit of uh, where we have teams that work uh, pioneers teams that work in what we call the Mid-Americas area of Pioneers. Pioneers has about 60 areas, so we're just one of 60. And uh, we have about 10 teams in our area, as Pastor Sean mentioned, mainly among Native American groups. And uh, we also have a team that work among the deaf in Mexico. And then uh, we have a, one of our newer teams is up in the Bay Area, San Francisco, working among trafficked and at-risk youth. Um, you know, it, it took an Aussie gal to come about three years ago who had experience doing that in Melbourne, Australia, um, to, because the church doesn't really have skills or experience in America of knowing how to do that kind of ministry. And uh, so God has been blessing her. Her team is growing, and there's some exciting things happening uh, there. But so the, most of our ministry is among Native people. Um, five million, five and a half million indigenous Native people and about 575 tribes in the United States, including Alaska. And... Um, the thing that you'll learn more about as time goes on is the fact that Native Americans, you will find church buildings on many reservations, but you rarely, if ever, find the kingdom of God coming and setting people free to live the kinds of lives that only Jesus can bring. And so they still, many are still uh, classified as unreached people groups. They just don't have access to the gospel that will set them free. And so we'll, we'll talk more about that later. Um, now let's see if I can get, there it is. Uh, Sean mentioned a little bit about our family. All of our kids live in Tucson, uh, not far from us, except for 
You can tell our oldest son and his family, uh, they are on a ranch in uh, the boot heel of New Mexico, uh, the Hatchet Ranch, and uh, their, their biggest news recently is that for the second year in a row, they get to go back to the Working Cowboys, Working Cowboy Rodeo Association finals in Amarillo in November. They qualified last weekend in Camp Verde, Arizona. And uh, if you've never, if you didn't know this, most of you are familiar with the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association. This is ranch cowboys, and, and they just do what they do every day. So, you know, none of them practice. They just, you know, do the kinds of things, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, since we merged with Pioneers about 10 years ago, one of the things that, that happened is that our family got much bigger in a way that we never anticipated. Um, the thing that has changed in my lifetime is it used to be that missions was from the West, the Western church, Europe and North America largely, to the rest, from the West to the rest. But today with the growth of the church that has been exploding around the world. Uh, just in, my, my uh, dad was originally called to work in China, and when he finished seminary in 1944, uh, that was about the time that the Chinese government would no longer allow any foreigners to come in. At that time, one million Christians in China when China opened back up in the 19, what, 70s, uh, early 80s, uh, close to 80 to 100 million Christian Chinese. And that was with no missionaries. So what God did in 40, 50 years in China is, is, is kind of one little picture of what God has been doing around the world with the gospel advancing into really hard places. Um, I, I thought I'd give you just a little bit of a, a picture of where we're going in uh, tonight and tomorrow. Um, you know, usually at a mission conference, you expect to hear stories of what God is doing elsewhere. But as I was praying and asking the Lord, you know, what is it that He has for you uh, during these these just two very short days together, um, I was really impressed that to to spend t this morning working on something that um, uh, it seems like God knows that you and we as the church in North America really need today. You see, before we can engage in mission, before we can follow Jesus into some hard, dark places, He has to rescue us first. And I, I don't mean salvation. That's, I'm not talking about salvation, okay? I'll be clear about that. Uh, what I'm talking about is this is the prerequisite to a fruitful life of love. And it basically, we, we've got to get our hearts back. And we'll unpack some scriptures um, about that a little bit later. But 
You know, here's, here's what my wife and I have come to see in uh, 41 years on the field is um, we have an enemy that hates us. And one of the main reasons he hates us is because we're made in the image of God. But we've also learned that like the early years of our lives, we really didn't live like we had an enemy. We did not take it seriously. We had kind of a concept of, sure, there's an enemy. His, uh, the Scriptures call him Satan. Um, but we really didn't take on a daily basis the reality that we have an enemy that hates us and he is after us. The, the reality is that because of the incredible love of God and His pursuit of each person in this room, throughout our lifetime, we, most of us, I would guess in this room, have come into the kingdom of God by His grace, by His love. And so uh, we're, we're, we're in. We're the children of God. We are the people that He calls His beloved. So if the enemy can't keep us from being saved by, by this transfer of our lives into the kingdom of God, then what he does the rest of our lives is try to keep us from bearing fruit for the sake of the kingdom of God. He, wants, he, he does not want us uh, to be restored and He doesn't want us to bear fruit in the lives of others as Jesus lives in us and through us. And, and you know, there's an interesting thing that I have experienced. I'll tell you a little bit more at the end of this, um, of, of, our, of our time together, about my story. But, you know, when I got into missions, I got into missions for a lot of reasons. I felt like God called me, and He did. I felt like God had, had blessed me and that He had blessed me to be a blessing. But i got to be honest with you, for many years, I did not have empathy for the lost. I did not feel their lostness. I, did not, I could not relate um, in a way that where people who were lost and broken in their sin, that that was something that I felt and, and then realize that I had to go to God to get the resources that I needed so that, so that His life and love could flow through me to them. I, I just didn't. It was kind of like a project. Is that, is that, can you all relate to that? That sometimes, you know, life feels like a project that you just got to do and your heart is somewhere else? Well, uh, we're going to talk about why... Uh, when we live without a heart, without recovering our hearts, we tend to then just settle for religion. And it's just kind of all about the be good and behave. And, uh, and it's not about so much the life of Jesus flowing through us. Tonight, I want to encourage you, um, I don't know what you do on a Sunday night. If your church is like our church, uh, typically it's a much smaller crowd. But tonight, uh, if you like a really good story, uh, I want to encourage you to come because the truth is all of us live in a larger story. 
It's the story that God's writing. And uh, the tendency that, uh, that happens in church world is that most people actually aren't familiar with the larger story and they haven't found their place in it. And so we'll talk more about that this evening. It'll actually be amazing situational awareness for you. If you have situational awareness, you can, you can know really what the next step is. If you're not aware, if you're lost, if you're alert and oriented time zero, guess what? You're just swept along. It's not about living with intentionality and purpose. And then uh, last, uh, the last time we're together will be Monday night. And we'll talk about that love lives to rescue. That's what love does. And we'll give some very practical ways that we can, uh, when God sets us free and then He turns us loose, uh, that, boy, there's, there's a lot of rescue that is happening in our day that you can connect with. So, uh, let's uh, talk about two verses um, that, that will help with, uh, again, this kind of situational awareness. You know, uh, Proverbs 4.23 has always fascinated me. Um, if, you, you, if you say the first three words of this verse, chances are people will be able to at least fumble their way through the rest of the verse because they've... In other words, where else in Scripture does it say above all else? This is it. This is it. It's in Proverbs. So if Scripture says above all else, we probably better pay attention, right? Um, we're supposed to do what? Guard, take care of, watch over carefully our heart. Why? Now, heart, let me just say that as Scripture defines us, it's, it's us. It's who we are. It's kind of the totality of who we are as a living being, our heart. There's other ways to define it, but we'll just, we'll just uh, use that for right now. The reason why we must guard our heart is because everything we do flows from it. There's not a single word you say. There's not a single action that you take that does not flow from what's in your heart. Everything flows from it. Actually, the way the Scripture teaches about the heart, our hearts are central to our life in God. Very much at the core of our life in God. Now, uh, I don't know if, if this is something that has been your experience, but it's certainly been mine in my journey through life uh, I lived most of my life not, not out of here. I lived it out of here. And, and there was a reason. I didn't know that until uh, two weeks of intensive counseling about two and a half years ago. I, I didn't know why everything that I did was kind of out of here. It was logical. It was rational. It was calculated. It was, you know, it, it was all rational. And there was a reason why I was living very far from my heart. 
but you know another thing why there's a battle over the heart is because Scripture says that is where Jesus lives in you and me by His Spirit. And so, of course, there's going to be a battle over this because what did we say earlier? You have an enemy that hates you. And he will do everything he can to destroy you. So this is the battleground. And uh, again, this evening in the larger story, we're going to go deeper into uh, when did that battle start? How did it start? And, uh, and what's going on today? Now, interestingly enough, when Jesus came in the New Testament and he announced he was ready to start his ministry, he pointed back to Isaiah 61, verse 1. And he said, speaking of his father, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. You know, you may not know this, but all of us in this room is whom he was talking to. And, and this isn't necessarily just before we came to know Christ uh, and have a relationship because he saved us from our sins. This is an ongoing reality for us. You see, uh, we are not wholehearted. We don't live that way. Um, you know, on any given day, you climb out of bed and you reach for your coffee, those of you that drink coffee, and we thank God for it. Uh, actually, we thank God a lot for coffee, uh, especially the older we get. But uh, we reach for our coffee and, you know, my wife can just ask me a question, well, you know, sweetie, what do you want to do today? And I'll go, well, I don't know, I, I could do this or I could do that or you know, I, it's just kind of, I can be anywhere all over the chart. And it's, and it's one of these things that to be wholehearted towards life, towards my day, oh my goodness, that is an incredible gift. You know, we're all captives that need freedom. We're captive to something. Um, it's one of those things that our journey through life and in Christ, if it's one that we're walking with Him and we're alert to the ways that He wants to work in us, then His, uh, His work in us is going to result in more and more freedom. Um, and, and the reality is we have been freed from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light through the work of Christ. But I don't know about you, but I find in my life that there's still little patches of darkness that still exist and that Jesus is faithful to flush those into the light as I, as I learn how to walk with Him in more and more freedom. You know... Most of us uh, can tend to uh, forget that our hearts were made for Eden, right? We were made for Eden where we walked with God 
and where everything was right with the world. Our hearts don't forget that. It, they never forget that we were made for something different. Just listen to the conversations that you engage in. You know, and listen for the, well, if only, you know, or when things get better or whatever, but we were made for Eden. But now we live east of Eden. And uh, most often our hearts are misunderstood. They're maligned, they're feared, or they're dismissed. Those are the four things that tend to happen most often in how we even treat our own hearts. And so we end up confused. You know, most of us can remember Jeremiah 17 that says the heart is exceedingly wicked. And, and then we wonder why that's the only verse we remember about the heart, right? We don't remember that actually Ezekiel 36 says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. You see, in Christ Jesus, Jeremiah 17 is not the reality of our hearts. It was before we knew Jesus. You bet it was. But now in Christ, uh, the Ezekiel 36 reality where we have a new heart and a new spirit, that's what is true of us. And, and so you have this, this battle, this challenge. Um, you know, none of us, none of us make it through life without trauma and wounds. Um, as I said, I'll tell you, tell you my story in just a second here. But what is it that Christianity is supposed to do to a person? Have you ever thought about that? There is something that Christianity alone claims to do for a person. Listen to what Romans 8.29 says in the message. God knew what He was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love Him along the same lines as the life of His Son. The Son stands first in the line of humanity He restored. He restored. So the intended effect of Christianity is restoration. It is the healing of the whole person. That's what Jesus came to do. You see, when God meant you, He meant something totally unique that had never existed before and will never exist again. He... It, it was as if I heard the, the illustration once that what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Well, it's as if God stood in front of a mirror and His glory was so amazing and powerful and wonderful and beautiful that the mirror shattered in billions of pieces. And you and I carry a unique sliver of that glory of God re that He wants to be reflected in us. 
And so we bring some amazing potential into this world. And so the reminder this morning that salvation, our salvation, is much more than just we get heaven when we die. There's much more to it than that. It also includes your and my restoration as a human being. You know, apart from that kind of restoration, Christianity is really just a religion. It's just a religion. And let me, let me tell you how it works. You see, because you have an enemy that hates you, he has a plan for your life. And it's basically to assault your heart. So here's how he does it. Make them busy. They'll just ignore their heart. Wound them so deeply, they don't want one. Twist their theology so that they despise the heart. Take away their courage and destroy their creativity. And guess what? It makes intimacy with God impossible. Impossible. You, if you... If you follow that path in the way you treat your own heart, you will not be able to experience intimacy with God. You see, because without your heart, you really can't have God. Without your heart, you can't have love. Without your heart, you can't have faith. And without your heart, you cannot find the work that you, were, you alone were meant to do in this world. So in other words, without your heart, you really don't have life. You really don't. And so the tendency that we humans take in, on that path is we settle for duty and obligation when it comes to our Christianity. We settle for believe and behave. We settle for just merely correct ways of thinking about doctrine. And we end up in passivity and resignation. In other words, we settle for religion. That's not Jesus. And so in missing all those things, we miss the restoration that is offered to us by the Gospel. Um, want to just ask you a question, then I'm going to tell you my story. What have you done with the wounds and trauma of your life? What have you done with the wounds and trauma of your life? You see, you were born like I was into a world at war. It's been that way, and it will be that way until Jesus comes to set everything right. No one gets through a war without wounds and trauma. Nobody. Well, my journey that I remember most started in at the end of first grade. My parents had just, uh, we just moved to Honduras in Latin America for, um, they, as they began their missionary service there. Um, I went to school at a uh, missionary kid boarding school. 
So at age seven, my mom and dad drove us to this school, and they dropped my brother and I off, got our stuff settled into our little rooms. I was in a room with with about uh, six bunk beds, and mine was the top one on the left. And uh, I distinctly remember when they said goodbye, because just being a first grader, all I knew was here I am in this strange place and mom and dad are leaving. And uh, I didn't, they didn't tell me this at the time, it's probably a good thing, but the school had a policy that they had one visit in nine months. It was because you see homesickness uh, every night in my room in those six bunks uh, most of us were grades one through three or four in that room. And you, there was a routine. You kind of turn your face into your pillow and you cry yourself to sleep. And that would go on night after night and it would sometimes last weeks. Because what I didn't know then had happened to my heart was abandonment. And what happens, the way the kingdom of darkness operates is that when there's a wound like that, there will come a lie. Right? There will come a lie. The lie to me was, Tim, you're on your own. And pretty much, you're just screwed. You're on your own. That lie stayed with me until two and a half years ago. I knew that other people had an intimate walk with God. I knew that that God is who He says He was. He's love. But I always figured that, well, probably other people experience His love much more deeply than I do because I just don't. You see, that lie that I'm on my own had operated since the beginning of my first grade year at age seven all the way till I was um, in my late 50s. And so in any given situation, I'm, uh, you know, I'm feeling pressure to do something and and deep down that was operating was, you know, well, I'm alone in this, so I guess I got to figure it out or tough it up or something. And... um, The truth is, that lie has shaped much of even how I relate to my wife. There there were parts of our relationship that, you know, she would say, you know, how come you, you know, you're just always such a tough guy. And, you know, how come you can't laugh? And how come she would just ask me these questions and they were darned irritating. (laughs) But she she was identifying something that was operating deep down. And uh, I, could, I could take a long time this morning to trace all the way through my school years, through my college years, through my ministry years. And um, uh, long about, when was it, 20, early 2017, I just sensed the Lord inviting me to go on a weekend retreat all by myself. The Santa Rita Abbey is an abbey just south of us in Tucson. And I spent uh, Friday afternoon, Saturday, and through Sunday afternoon there 
just kind of on a silence and solitude retreat. And during that time alone, um, you know, it was, you know, well, God, if you want to say anything, go ahead. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's kind of like one of those things that, you know, I'm really grateful through my life that God has always spoken through His Word. Aren't we glad of that? Because to have the Word of God is priceless. But I kind of felt like I needed something more. And I said, God, is there anything you want to say to me? As I was driving home Sunday afternoon, um, he just said, Tim, do you want more? You know, it was a really good question. Did I want more? And I, and I knew what he, what he meant. Do I, did I want more out of life? Did I want more of him? And I said, yeah. Yeah, boy. I, yes, I want more. Well, one thing led to another. The next thought I had was I had heard about this, this uh, counseling intensive that was available in, in uh, Colorado. And I got home and I told my wife, said, Julie... You know, this is what happened this weekend. And uh, I said, I feel like I need to, to contact Restoring the Soul and just see if they might have an opening. And, and I did that the next Monday. And long story short, a counseling intensive, by the way, I'll just tell you, is ridiculously expensive. And we're missionaries, right? But God knew that He needed to meet me both, not just in the counseling, but in the provision for it that would let me know, Tim, I love you. I care about you more deeply than you know. And I am your provider. Well, anyway, how God provided is is an incredible story. We get up to Colorado in uh, May of 2017. And the next two weeks began to unpack my, my story. And when I discovered that that lie that I had made an agreement with, and that's what gives a lie power in any of our lives, I had agreed with a lie, and then it just operated. And once I realized that, I was able to, to break the agreement and say, no, nope, not going to live that way anymore. And, of course, I've had to do that many times since then. That's how it operates, right, Sean? You kind of have to learn how to walk in this new way. But I have to tell you, and my wife will tell you, that the freedom that has come to me and my life, my ministry, my leadership, has been absolutely amazing. I'm still on the journey, by the way. Still on the journey. But... The life that God is giving me daily and just, again, that this morning used to be when I get up to speak, man, I just felt all sorts of pressure to get it right. Tim, man, it's up to you. you got to get it right. Well, you know what? This morning early I was up and, and the Lord just reminded me, Tim, remember, it's not up to you. You just, you just do what you do and let me live my life through you as you speak, and it's all going to be good. And so that peace 
that I didn't have to fear, I didn't have to live in anxiety, and, and all those things that have characterized much of my life, um, it's just he made it new. And so my question for you um, this morning that we'll finish up with, I think that question that Jesus asked me is a really good one for each one of us. Do you want more? Do you want more? Don't settle. Don't settle for religion when so much more is available. And so, uh, you know, if you want to get your heart back, so that then you can enter into the adventure that God has with Him. Not alone, but with Him. Uh, it all starts with a journey. This 18-inch journey for me from here to here makes all the difference in the world. Let's pray. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we just want to thank you that our hearts were your idea. And Lord, every one of us in this room this morning is on a journey. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, each heart this morning, in answer to your question, do you want more? Lord Jesus, that we would say deep down, Yes, yes, yes. We want more. We want more of You. We want more life. We want more of Your love. And so, Jesus, would You meet us in that journey? Would You meet us? Would You come to us as only You come, as the One who is tender and loving and gracious and kind? And Lord Jesus, um, if there's some in this room, um, Lord, like maybe they're like me, that many, perhaps even years or decades ago, that they agreed with a lie when, when they were assaulted early in life. Uh, Lord, would you bring light? Would you bring enlightenment to them? Uh, Lord, would you pinpoint the lie so that then they can renounce any agreements that they have made with a lie and then begin to walk in truth and in freedom. Lord, thank you that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And Lord, we want more freedom. And we just ask you, Jesus, show us the way as only you can, lead us, lead us along the path that, uh, that is the path of righteousness. And Lord, I love that verse that says, it's for your name's sake, because your name is love. It's for your name's sake that you lead us along those paths. And so, Lord, as we uh, head into the rest of our day today, um, I pray that that question would settle deeply into our hearts. And Lord, uh, help each one to take the time necessary to, uh, to just sit with you 
so that you can help them answer that. So again, we just want to say thank you again for the opportunity to gather, to worship, and to hear your word. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray that you would go with us now as we head out into the rain. That beautiful life-giving moisture that comes, that great gift, one of many. And we pray this in your name. Amen. God be with you.